The following message was given by Mark Beckton on Sunday, August 27th at Redemption Hill Church. For more information about the church, visit us online at www.redemptionhill.org. So take your Bibles and find Proverbs chapter 16. While you are finding Proverbs chapter 16, I'm going to take a personal privilege and just uh, share my excitement to the fifth graders. Something happened this week that I didn't expect and when we celebrated the fifth graders this morning, the father connected the dots. I talked to my mom. I do it every week, but I talked to my mom and uh, relived going to church with my grandparents in Hunt, Texas, a church about 14. Sunday nights in the service, my grandfather always took the offering, would sit with me, put his arm around me. I could always, and still to this day, smell the chewing tobacco on his breath. But I began to relive life with the family of God. And for our fifth graders, what a joy today. You get to join us in worship and for the rest of your lives, be a part of a gathering like this when we come together. Uh, what you're going to find is something that I have found, that your parents have found, and others have found. Even when you get to middle school, when we gather like this, God through His Word is going to say something that really applies to your life in that moment. The same is true in high school, when you go to college. Uh, after college, when you get a career, if you're single, if you're married, if you have kids, if you have grandkids. Even to this day, I get to gather with others and other generations and get to find the beauty of what God is saying through His Word to my life in this moment. So, uh, as a pastor, my heart is so happy for you. So excited for you and what you will get to experience in your life with God's people as the Father loves on you through His Word. Alright? Let's pray together. And so, Father, we come together... 5th graders and 50, 60, 70 year olds. All fathers sitting before you with your word open. Trusting you. You will declare your glory to us through your word. And as a good father you will at times rebuke. And correct. You will instruct. And you will exhort us through your word. You've promised and you have. So, Father, as we look at the Proverbs, I thank you that your Holy Spirit is at work. I ask that you speak through me, but not just through me, Lord. We can't hear unless you open our understanding to Scripture. So, by your Spirit, help us understand what you are saying. Thank you, Father. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We've covered a lot in Proverbs, but today specifically... We're going to talk about Proverbs and money. And it begins with Proverbs chapter 16, verse 8. Look what it says. Better is a little with righteousness than great revenues with injustice. Simple but to the point. I read this week, and unless something's happened, which I, I doubt it has, Elon Musk is still the richest man 
in the world. With all of his net worth, he is right now worth about $240 billion. And uh, that's a lot. <laughs> but there's always a bigger fish in the pond. And that was King Solomon. He had a 40-year reign, and God inspired Solomon to write most of these Proverbs. And in his 40-year reign from 971 B.C. to 931 B.C., with all that he amassed uh, with military might, but also with the building of ships for business, with the raising and the erecting of architecture that was priceless and beautiful. You can just go on and on and on. If you just look at the gold that he mined, the gold alone would be worth today $30 trillion. So I really doubt that any of us are in the same tax bracket as Solomon or as Elon Musk. But there is something about today that is unique. Uh, families are actually making more money today than they ever had before. Yet still, in an article that was in um, Forbes this week, they identified that 61% of families are still living checkbook or check to check. So with all of that said, that's the reason when you look at the uh, online bookstores or the brick and mortar bookstores, books are lining shelves on how to make money, how to manage money, and we forget how much scripture talks about money. So here's, here's a quick reminder. 16 of Jesus' 38 parables were about money or possessions. One out of four verses in the Gospels deal with money. And though there are 500 verses on prayer, 500 verses on faith, there are over 2,000 verses on money and or possessions. So with Scripture talking so much about money, I think before we get into the details of Proverbs, it's good to begin with a brief theology regarding money. So let me just start with, with a, a personal theology that started with me when I was five or six years old. I can still remember it was a Sunday morning. Mom came in. Dad was a pastor. So Dad was already at the church getting things ready. Mom handed my brother a quarter. He was two and a half years older. And she slipped in my hand a shiny dime and nickel. Honestly. She then told me that she's going to do this every week. And I thought I was financially independent. <laughs> I was always asking, asking, and now they're giving. It is a wonderful day. And so as I'm admiring and treasuring this nickel and dime, Mom also said, the reason your dad and I are doing this, boys, is we want to teach you about tithing. Now, tithing is an Old Testament term that talks about a tenth. That's basically what it means, and it means giving a tenth unto the Lord. So they put a, this is what was strange to me, a, a nickel and dime in mine, 15 cents, and 25 cents in my brother's hand, asking us to give 10%. Where did we get half a penny? But anyway, that wasn't in my head at age five or six. What did hit me was when mom said, now, you need to give some of this to God. And immediately, I can still remember, I clenched in my six-year-old fist, brought it back to my chest, and I said, I'm not giving my money to God. And then another lesson mom and dad taught came to mind. That God is everywhere and hears everything. And I suddenly turned on my six-year-old charm and said, but I love him. So today I stand before you at 61 and telling you that I still have to wrestle with those two concepts. 
my money and a love for God? How do those things come together? How do they work? Well, it begins again with that right theology. Take your Bibles to Psalm 24. Psalm 24. We'll be coming back to the Proverbs. In Psalm 24, verses 1 and 2, we're going to first deconstruct the statement that it's my money. Everything is God's. So here's what it says in Psalm 24, verses 1 and 2. It says, The earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the world, and all who live in it. For He founded it on the seas and established it upon the waters. The difficulty with seeing the money as my money is the fact that I worked so hard to get it. Once we think that we earned it and we deserved it, we forget that actually the Father owns everything. He even owns the work that we do. You go back to Genesis chapters 1 and 2 when He creates Adam and Eve. You remember the first assignment that He gives them in the garden is to work it. So God establishes work. So work is of the Lord. So that is his as well. So when you and I start thinking that my work has given me my stuff, go back and see God's hand in the work that you have and the stuff that's come from it. In Revelation chapter 3 verse 7, it says that God opens doors that no man can close and closes doors that no man can open. When most of us have applied for jobs, there are certain jobs you and I have applied for that really thought that our uh, accomplishments, our accreditation, and even our association with different people was a shoe-in. And yet we were rejected. On the other hand, there was a job that just seemed so impossible that you thought, oh, let's just throw my name in anyway, and the door opened. The Father opens doors that no man can close, closes doors that no man can open, even in your work. So everything that is of your, in your hands from your work is actually from the Father. Everything is the Lord's. Even what's in your bank account. So why does the Father put it in our bank account? Why does the Father put these things in our hands? In order to teach us His nature and to conform us to His nature as followers. And what nature is that? The nature as a giver. He is a giver. You look at this at the nature of Christ and the Father seen in Christ. In John chapter 3 verse 16, very familiar. For God so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son. It's in the nature of the Father to give. You see that also expressed in Christ in Philippians chapter 2. Where it talks about Him. Where uh, He said, let this heart be in you which was also in Christ Jesus. That in submissive humility. I love this. This is now Mark taking over. Jesus loved the Father more than how He was respected in heaven. He loved the Father more than cherishing His identity, how He was seen beautifully, purely, worshipfully in heaven. That's why He came to earth. And on earth, He sacrificed Himself. And He did so, sacrificing Himself, valuing God's glory more than His own security. He gave Himself and gave up the security and even the reverence and safety of heaven out of love for the Father and love for you and me. And so the Father puts things in our hands 
So that, uh, well, by giving us money and telling us to tithe, or as the New Testament calls it, to the collection for the church, God is working to conform our hearts to Christ. Commanding us to give, God reminds us that our identity is not in how others see us, our titles or accomplishments, nor is our security in how much we have in the bank, or our identity and insecurity is in Christ alone. So the Father gives us in our hands like mom and dad did for me. And God put it in their hands to put it in mine. So that we might know what his nature is like in giving. Now, you can see that conforming work in, our, in your life. If you get to have my view on Fridays. On Fridays, Lori and I get to keep all four of our grandchildren. I love them dearly. They come at 8 a.m. and I'm so happy when they leave at 6 p.m. <laughs> they are ages four and a half, three, 20 months, and 21 months. And we have two more on the way, uh, January 22nd, January 28th. So we will soon have six under the age of five. Now, there is a theological lesson every day, every Friday, in the playroom. I sit there and watch it. When they come in, they, they run in and each wants to get to a toy. If one says it out loud, they all race to that same toy. Because everybody wants that toy. Who gets that toy gets to show it to other people who don't have that toy, saying, don't you wish you had this toy? And there are times where there are tears because they didn't get to have the toy, or tears because the toy was taken away. Tears because it just didn't seem fair, or tears because the way you got that wasn't right. And suddenly I'm watching all this thinking, oh, Father, I guess I haven't grown up that much, have I? That's the way I am with my stuff. Even fearful that I'll never get that toy. So the Father purposes these things in our life to conform our nature. That our rest and our peace, everything that we need truly is in Christ. Now, that's the reason the Father is so loving and kind with the Proverbs. It is His aim to conform us through giving with the stuff in our hands, the money. But He'll even give us some instructions on how that conforming takes place. And how to work with Him in that conforming journey. So, we're going to talk first of all about the right attitudes and the wrong attitudes regarding money. Which the Father is conforming us from and to. Alright, so now you're in Proverbs. Let's go back to Proverbs. Let's talk first of all about the wrong attitudes. There are five wrong attitudes regarding money that are identified in Proverbs. There may be more, but I'm just stopping with five. And let's start with the first one that we think would be common, which is greedy. In Proverbs chapter 15, verse 27, it says, A greedy man brings trouble to his family, but he who hates bribes will live. The attitude, the proverb, and now here's the picture from the proverb. When you grab to get more, you get a handful of trouble. That's what the proverb is saying, and that's what Grandma Honey said. Lori's great-grandmother grew up uh, in a sod hut on the side bank of a creek in western Oklahoma before the land run. When she became old enough to marry, she married and she and her husband began farming and they became successful in their farming and ranching. But it was Grandma Honey who told Lori's mom. Mom told Lori. 
don't want for a lot. It just brings trouble with it. The worry, the effort, the management, all of it. Another attitude that's wrong is stingy. This is the opposite of greedy. So you find this in Proverbs 28, verse 22, where it says, A stingy man is eager to get rich and is unaware that poverty awaits him. The picture, when you hoard to get richer, you only get poorer. And here's where I'm coming to that. Again, to be conformed to Christ. One of the beauties that we see in Christ giving himself was we got to see the love of God expressed through Christ to us even on the cross. In Romans chapter 5 verse 8, God displayed his love toward us and that while we were sinners, Christ died. Furthermore, you find in Hebrews chapter 12 verse 2 that Christ went to the cross because of the joy set before him of knowing of what he would do and give. You and I, by hoarding and not being free to give, knowing this is the Father's to give, rob ourselves of so many things. We are poor in the love of God, poor in the joy of Christ, because we feel like our security and identity has to be protected in what we have, which is actually what was given us in grace to us by Christ. Third wrong attitude is lazy. You find this in Proverbs 10, verse 4. Lazy hands make a man poor, but diligent hands bring wealth. The picture? When you do nothing, that's exactly what you get. Spending it. You find this in Proverbs chapter 21, verse 17. He who loves pleasure will become poor. Whoever loves wine and oil will never be rich. The picture? When you spend for the moment, you lose for a lifetime. Which is where the prodigal son was, if you know that story, before experiencing the love of the father. He had taken the inheritance early and with his friends just wasted it on the wine and oil and all the pleasures of life until it was gone. You find one, last one, is just to have it to show it. This is Proverbs 13, verse 7. One man pretends to be rich, yet has nothing. Another pretends to be poor, yet has great wealth. The picture? When you keep up with the Joneses, you get their debt as well. About 15 years ago, maybe, there was a book that came out called uh, The Millionaire Next Door. And it was a study of millionaires within America that many didn't realize were there because they didn't live as though they had it. And then you have those who want to be seen as having great wealth and spend it to have it, but then realize, I really don't have much at all except a lot of debt. So all of these things are part of the wrong attitudes that are actually within our sinful nature. And in order for the Father to conform us with even the funds that He gives to us, we need to understand what are the right attitudes with which to look at the gifts that he gives to us, that he graces to us. So we're going to look at four right attitudes. It kind of sets up a table. A table with four legs is pretty stable. So we're going to look at a, a stable table on the right attitudes regarding what God gives. Attitude number one, fear the Lord. This is the important one. Let's start with it in Proverbs 22 verse 4 where it says, the reward for humility 
and fear of the Lord is riches and honor and life. We're going to talk about riches and blessings here in just a moment, but let's talk about the fear of the Lord. It's the fear of the Lord that adjusts how you see life and what you have. Often we find our comfort and identity in what we have or the work we have instead of who we walk with. You find this in a dear verse to me. It's Micah chapter 6 verse 8. Where the people are saying, well, just God let me give more to them. And in fact, the reason they were upset was God was holding them accountable. Their heart was wrong. And said, well, if you just want to give 15%, 10%. They actually said, if you want, to, want me to give to you my firstborn for my transgression, the fruit of the body from the sin of my soul. Well, just tell us what you want. We'll do it. Just don't bother us. This is what the Father really wanted from those who are with him. He said, he has showed you, oh man, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you? But to do justly. And to love mercy. And to walk humbly with God. It's not about what you have, what you do. It's who you walk with. Everything goes through the lens of a fear of God. To know Him, to love Him, to revere Him, to obey Him. And that sets you up to honor Him. It is the second right attitude regarding money and possessions. You want to honor the Father with them. Look what it says in Proverbs chapter 3, verses 9 and 10. It says, honor the Father, honor the Lord with your wealth and with the first fruits of all your produce. Then your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will be bursting with wine. So it's the fear of the Lord that gives you the right lens to see that everything He puts in your hands. Out of fear of the Lord, you want to honor Him with what you have. And honoring Him with what you have, you want to give to Him the first fruits of what He's given to you. Now this term, first fruits, appears 23 times throughout the Old Testament. It basically says the Father gets first from the graces He's given to you. That's also tied with the tithe. The Father gets the first 10%. As they talk about in the Old Testament, the first 10% goes to the Father. There's a unique thing here tied to it. You always see the sense of blessings that come with it. In fact, if you're talking money or if you're talking tithing in, in the church, somebody has to read Malachi chapter 3 verse 10. So to not disappoint anybody, let me read this to you. It says, bring the full tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house and thereby the father says put me to the test says the Lord of hosts if I will not open the windows of heaven and, uh, for you and pour down for you a blessing until there is no more need now, I need to say this because this has been used so many times with wrong theology to say I give so I can get I give to God to get the blessing from God. Actually, we're giving from the blessing that we have from the Father. And realizing the blessing we have from the Father, we give out of joy and that is the blessing. But the other side is this. We often think blessings are only financial. Do you understand the richest blessing you've ever been given you didn't pay for. 
It is secure. It is the love and acceptance of a holy God. And the promise of a life with him now and forever. How priceless is that? And I understand we still see our debts. We still see the bills coming in and the bank account getting low and wondering how's it going to meet. I sure would like a blessing now. More honestly, Father, I just need you to provide now. But also in history, how many times has he done it? And in this moment, we're simply not trusting him that he will. You see, that's the third right attitude I want to talk about. Is trusting the Father. Now, you'll find this in Proverbs chapter 10, verse 22, where it says, The blessing of the Lord makes rich. I talked to my mom right now, and she has a vascular dementia, so we'll cover the same conversation three times in 20 minutes. But when I describe to her her grandchildren, and that we get to keep them on Fridays, mom says, Oh, you are so rich. It's more than just what you have in the bank account. The blessing of the Lord makes rich and he adds no sorrow with it. So there's, there's no guilt behind it. Uh, there are two verses that are dear to me when I start thinking about trusting the Father and his resources and doing it guilt free. One is Matthew chapter 6 verse 10 where it says, uh, Give us this day our daily bread. And it's been a reality that the Father has always asked us to give us what we need for the day. And He always gives us the right amount of need, right, right amount of bread for every day. He says, then just trust me for tomorrow, but for today, trust me that I'll take care of every need. The other one came from 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 8. Biography of Bertha Smith, a missionary to China. This was a verse dear to her. And now to me, I share it with you. 2 Corinthians 9, 8. God is able to make all grace abound to you so that at all times in all things having all that you need you may abound in every good work not just about the bank account those moments where I was so confused by the complexity of a dilemma I watched the father in time unravel it in a way I couldn't uh, overwhelmed with the amount of demands on me for a single day. I started the day thinking, well, I don't know if I can get through this. Find myself going to bed that night knowing he carried the day. How many times has he done that for you in those moments and even with your finances? The right attitude with money and possessions is to trust the Father. But also... The last one is to restrain yourself. It's funny, the first three, fear the Lord, honor the Lord, trust the Lord, are all about the Lord. This last right attitude regarding money possessions is about us. Restrain yourself. You find this in Proverbs 23 and verses 4 and 5. Look what it says. Do not toil to acquire wealth. Be discerning enough to desist. When your eyes light on it, it's gone, for suddenly it sprouts wings, flying like an eagle toward heaven. It's easy in our sinful nature to fear others or circumstances more than God. And it's sinfully natural to want the honor that comes with being frugal or amassing wealth. 
And it's in our sinful nature to trust our abilities to meet our financial needs instead of acknowledging that every good and perfect gift is from the Father. This last attitude, however, also addresses a core part of our sinful nature that started with Adam and Eve. You go back to the Garden of Eden. You remember the Father was so gracious to them, gave them this full garden, lush, everything they need was there. Just one instruction, don't go to the tree in the middle of the garden, don't eat its fruit. Everything else is yours, just this is a no. With Satan's temptation, it became too beautiful, too alluring, and in their mind, the outcome of having that was too wonderful. So they had to have it immediately. Self-restraint was gone. In Romans chapter 5, it says, Because of their sin, we also are born with that same sin. A sinful nature. And at the core, it is hard for us to be obedient unto God. Self-restraint is a challenge. So, the Father has even purposed in this life, giving, resources, to use those to conform us with what we have and don't have so that we look at life fearing the Father, honoring the Father, trusting the Father and in that fear, honor and trust even having self-restraint and honoring Him with that. So, when we talk about now the self-restraint one of the things I love about Proverbs and also the love of our Father for us is I'll just confess up to you I'm, I'm a sinful brother just like y'all and the Father's still working at conforming me to this. I need some help in the area of discipline in this self-restraint. So, as a loving father would, he said, okay, let me just teach you areas of self-restraint with these things so that we can help with that sinful nature and also that you see the delight in Christ. So, let me talk about some things in areas of self-discipline by looking at Proverbs 27. So, take your Bibles, look at Proverbs 27. In just a moment, we're going to cover verses 23 through 27. And it sounds like a financial plan. And in some ways it is. It's more discipline than a plan. Because every one of us is looking for that wonderful plan. In fact, I read in Money Magazine, 11% of people had the following financial plan for wealth. To win the lottery. It is a plan. It's just not one you find in Proverbs. So here's the plan. It begins with knowing what the Father has given you. Be disciplined to know what the Father has given you. Know what you have. Verses 23 and 24. Know well the condition of your flocks and give attention to your herds. For riches do not last forever. And does a crown endure to all generations? Now here is Solomon who grew up in cosmopolitan Jerusalem using farmer and rancher and herdsman terms. I don't think he was familiar with it, but his dad, David, was. So what I love about this picture is the herdsman always knows the condition of his flock. Just like a rancher knows the cattle. I mentioned Grandma Honey, Papa Holly, those two had the farm and the cattle and the farmland. Uh, it was passed down, and Lori's mom and dad were actually elementary school teachers. But on the side, they just kept running some cattle. So when we'd go see them, he would put me in a truck, we'd go out and feed the cattle. The beautiful thing was, they see the truck come in, the cattle come running, and you throw out the hay, 
And my, my father-in-law said, this is what I call the land aquarium. You know, you like to watch fish and just so soothing. He said, watching the cattle eat is so soothing. He said, oh, wait, there's a new calf. He said, hand me the book. And there is a black notebook in the glove compartment. I hand it to him inside is every cow. He knows which ones are carrying. And when one is delivered, he writes down when they delivered the date and has with each cow the number that they have delivered over time. Knows their age and things of that nature. This, okay, I may be stepping and shouldn't do this, but I get so tickled about Papa. No, I'm not going to say it. Uh, uh, but now you're wondering, what were you going to say? Uh, Papa would always look at his cattle, and when you run, roll down the window, there was the aroma of cattle. And he said, that's the smell of money. <laughs> and I'll let you deduce which aroma that was. Um, <laughs> all right, I've already blown it. Um, Friends, when stewarding the resources God has given you, you need to know what you have and what it's doing. It's a discipline. The second discipline along with that is know what is due. You find this in verse 25. Look what it says. When the grass is gone and the new growth appears and the vegetation of the mountains is gathered and you're going, what? You've got to understand the process of harvesting in the day of Solomon. In Solomon's day, the hay had to be cut at a certain time to give it time to dry before it could be stored. You could not seed for new growth until the old growth had been taken care of. The same principle applies to stewarding what God has given you. There are always seasons when things must be done and payments are due. Just as you list what you have also, you need to write out what is due. Use what the Father has given you to honor Him in paying your bills. Glorify Him by keeping with the commitments you've made with others. And to help with this reminder, with the hay, there was no new growth until the old growth was cared for. We easily can add new expenses before the old ones have been cut. Writing out what is due keeps you from doing that. Proverbs. So, know what you have, know what is due, and then know what can be done with what you have left. You find that when you tie verse 25 to verse 26 and verse 27. Look what it says. When the grass is gone and the new growth appears and the vegetation of the mountains is gathered, the lambs will provide your clothing and the goats the price of a field. There will be enough goat's milk for your food and for the food of your household and the maintenance of your girls. You see a process there? If not, let me break it down. Start with verse 25. You gather the grass to feed the lambs. Verse 26, you shear the lambs to have the resources to buy new clothes. Verse 26, you sell some goats to buy a new field. And verse 27, you keep enough goats to feed your family. Know what you have, know what is due, and know what to do, what can be done with what you have. 
It's a beautiful thing about that as long as there's discipline behind it. Uh, Thomas Jefferson had 10 rules for life. Rule number three, never spend your money before you have it. Great rule, but he didn't live by it. I can remember going to Monticello with my family. We moved here and all the family from Oklahoma kept taking different trips and so we'd always take them to Monticello. And each guide will tell you something different, but I remember the guide who said, Thomas Jefferson left his family in such debt it took two generations to get them out. It wasn't until their grandson that the family was finally out of debt. So with all of that, you and I know what our fallen nature is like. I am still the child in the playroom, wanting what I want, wanting it now, and scared that somebody else is going to get it, and fearful that I won't be able to have what I want. And life sometimes is ruled by that instead of fear of the Father, honoring the Father, trusting the Father, and doing so in a way that it strains my sinful nature from doing what He really wants to do. Uh, so to do that, I've got to see what matters most. Some time ago, um, there was a biography written about the Duke of Wellington. And I know I really didn't connect his significance till they tied it to 1815 when he defeated Napoleon at the Battle of Waterloo. And since 1815, folks have been writing biographies of him. But there was one written in my lifetime that felt he really had an insight into the true uh, man, Duke of Wellington, because unlike all the biographies, he found the Duke's ledger. He found where the Duke spent his money, how the Duke used his money. He thought in his mind, all these papers that the Duke wrote and all these speeches that the Duke gave may have given his aspirations. If you want to really see how he lives and what he values, just look at his ledger. Well, the same is true what the Father does for you and me. That's the reason for this loving and yet somewhat uncomfortable message on money. It is a time where the Father does what He says in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 16 and 17. He's going to use His Word to rebuke, to correct, but also to instruct and encourage. So how do I leave you with all of this? Now let me just offer this uh, confession. When you come to wanting to know what matters most, stop and pray when you look at your ledger. Just stop and pray. Ask the, the Father to help you review what you are stewarding the things that He's given you. Let it be a loving, conforming exercise with God. Ask Him to reveal your attitudes toward His gifts to you. Do you see them as your hard-earned assets or as His grace to you to meet your needs? Do you look at and use them out of fear of God to honor, out of fear of God to honor God, trust God, and when you review them, do you find your identity and security more in God's resources than in God Himself? I am confessing as an older brother who has had a theology of money started since six years old, and now at 61, God is still using money to conform me to Christ. There are still times God convicts me that my identity, comfort, and security 
peak and dip with the resources I have or don't have. I forget that my identity, comfort, and security now and forever are eternally secure in Christ. But every now and then, I, I need that reminder. And God often uses money to remind me. And in doing so, He always reminds me I'm still the three-year-old in the playroom. And He's still teaching me to trust Him, to honor Him, to love, fear, and obey Him. That with Him, everything works out all right. Trust Him. He's good. All right, let's pray together. Father, thank You for this time. I praise You, Father. I thank You, Father, for Your Word. And Lord, the way that You, you know us. You are all-knowing, but You know the deep things. And how Your Word so beautifully addresses the deep things. I praise You for that. I thank You for Your persisting love. You persist with me. You constantly take me back to look at what I have and what is due. And I ask forgiveness, Lord, when I have those long seasons I haven't and find myself in trouble again. Praise you that you have often provided in ways through those hard seasons that I'm in awe of you and again trust and want to follow well. I thank you for my brothers and sisters who are here. And Father, I just thank you that the true model of giving begins with you. Giving Christ. Praise you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. You've been listening to a message by Mark Beckton given at Redemption Hill Church in Richmond, Virginia. For more information on the church and to hear other messages, please visit us online at www.redemptionhill.org.